Welcome to Soul Forum. We're delighted to have you here for this series we're calling Soul Body. Each conversation in this second season takes us deeper into the experience of our own bodies, the collective body, the earth body, and even the cosmic body, as we explore the way soul finds expression in our time. We hope what you discover along the way helps you journey a little deeper into your own soul body. In this episode, Karen and Dan continue their conversation as they explore the way one's sense of soul might be integrated into the most primary relationship humans have within the pattern and rhythms of the planet and its clear struggle to thrive given the impact of our species. Dan and Karen begin by looking for some new ways to frame a sense of soul. I wanted to start with an idea that Karen brought up uh, from our last session that I've, and I don't know what's been percolating for you, but two things have been percolating for me. One is sort of her notion of soul and to, to just tease out from that sort of a, a way to hold on to soul that is more letting go than grasping. A way to hold on to soul that's a little bit more like letting go than it is about taking hold of something. And then that second layer that she brought up, I think that is super challenging for me, particularly for many of us who live in our heads, is how can I get to a space where my, um, the language of my soul is not like a brain language, but it's a different it has a different language capacity to it. So is there an alternative um, either language set or vocabulary that I could embrace as I think about soul and my own spirit's journey? And as you think about your own spirit's journey, is there a different framing tool that doesn't quickly snap into your head and allows you to embrace it at a different level? And so those are the two things I want to play around with a little bit today. When Karen tried to think about when I asked her, you know, whether there's a collective soul or a soul, she was pretty certain in her own mind or construct that each of us has some sense of soul individually, but that it's really the connection place to the wonder of something more or other or grandeur or nature or something that it is actually the soul is like that which happens when the connection is made the soul to me is an individual universal thumbprint mm. that is connected to a larger being or host and some would say God as that name. Some would say source. Some would say universe. Um, I think all those work. So there's an individualness that is within this current life form that I have that is connected to this much larger wholeness of being so the question of 
a collective soul is one that's very perplexing to me mm. because it would be something that this larger universe god sentient being would itself have um so i'm not sure if there actually is that what i think there is is a collective knowing talk about that so the knowing is what has been lost the connection to that has been lost through our species domestication through civilization and the knowing is like the channel that our soul uses in the way a nerve uses connective systems to run from, you know, finger to brain. Mm -hmm. um, and so the knowing is, is, is where the heightened awareness takes place, the heightened connectiveness. So you're, so, so you kind of uh, draw a distinction between the sense of the, like you have an individual soul that is, is tethered through this connection to this grander soul that then in a sense holds the collective inside of this, um, whatever that is, right. Whatever that source is or, or movement is or vibration is, or God is how they describe it. But it's the, I'm hearing you say it, it is the, um, that channel or that nerve that connects to that is what is the, is what you navigate as an individual. Is that what you're trying to imply? Yes, partly. I mean, there's, you we each have our own soul that is connected to this larger host being. Mm -hmm. um, we couldn't have an individual understanding of that. It couldn't exist without being part of this larger whole, but there mm -hmm. is an individual quality to it. Um, yeah. And yes, this, this channel that it needs is this deep knowing that we have of what it means to be a, a being connected to all of this. Mm -hmm. When you're feeling most connected to the, the planet or to nature or to another or to mystery, it's in the connecting place that holds the core of magic and the wonder. So soul is not something that we kind of inherit and then cons or even construct in our own minds, but it happens within the vibrancy of the connection. And so it's always fluid. It's always relative to the way in which we're connected and what we're connected to. It has a fluidity to it, like an umbilical cord moves you know, resources back and forth, right? So it's, it has that kind of energy to it. And when she said that, it reminded me, it threw me back to a Martin Buber reference that we'd made previously, I think it was all the way back in season one of Soul Forum, 
But Martin Buber used to talk about this relationship between I and thou, where that there, you're not looking at an I-it relationship, but an I-thou relationship where you're truly honoring either the other person or your place in nature. When, the, when that becomes thou and you're fully I, the, the magic that happens in that communicative moment, Martin Buber calls that magic inside of there God or mystery or wonder or life force, right? So it's the magic in the middle is what I'm trying to get us to, to think about. How do we think about and imagine that our soul is not something fixed that we're trying to figure out, but rather it's the way in which we're experiencing the wonder in the fluidity of relationship. The, the other mystic that I wanted to connect to that I think ties into this is uh, Matthew Fox wrote a book early on about the spirituality of a German mystic. Who knew Germans had a mystical edge to begin with? I never thought that was possible. But he fell in love with a German mystic called Meister Eckhart. And Meister Eckhart is a German mystic who really thought that the spiritual journey is not about clutching. It's not even about like constructing a pietistic practice. That's not it. It's not about dogma, but it's about resting inside of the mystery. That, that the real goal is to rest inside of the mystery, and it's the resting place that you're looking for inside of this great mystery that holds us. And, and in some ways, I think Meister Eckhart would resonate a little bit with what we're talking about, is that we're not trying to find um, a destination or a goal or a definition, but we're resting inside of the energy, inside of these connections that, that we have in every moment. Uh, so I think, I think he would resonate with that. Karen goes on to describe the ways she experiences life when resonating within this dynamic relationship within Earth in all its expression. Balance, reconnection, um, it feels freeing and like I'm awake and not numbed out anymore. Um, that I am a participant in everything that's going on, but not a controlling, dominating force on it all. It's much more like flow, like the, a letting go that a leaf does going down a river or a stick or something like that, that you 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 move along with the rhythms of what this planet is is doing and ultimately what this universe is doing mm. um tapping into the the rhythms that just occur like in the now it's very it's a very presence thing you're always feeling this life gift right now as you move through the day you know where the where the sun is in the sky what that means for how your body is reacting and 
as the seasons change, um, I'm very fortunate to live where we have all four seasons and get to experience each of them. And it's just so, I'm so biologically um, wired to that mm. in ways I definitely wasn't before. Yeah. Do you think it's, it? do you sense that it has um, released tension over time that was required when you functioned in a more of a dominant cultural context? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my it, gosh, 100%. Like <laughs> when we, when we started this walk away, this pushback on dominant culture and, yeah. um, you know, my, my parents were living in Oakland at the, and, um, there were a couple years probably that it was incredibly difficult to go and go to visit them. Oh. It would be so disruptive to my, my rhythms that it was very jarring and it to the point where we just kind of stopped like yeah. doing it for a while because it just it's like learning another language right it's like becoming bilingual almost and um it's very clunky at first and you have to spend a lot of time immersed in it um but once you like get get the hang of it then you can take it into other situations and still be okay. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it took a while for us to really break down that domestication for lack of a better word. I mean, the yeah, program, yeah. the programming, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. um, but it's totally worth it. I mean, I, <laughs> I love I can't imagine having been given the gift of life um, and not tapping into this all of all that I feel so fully. Mm. That's it a beautiful way to, yeah. It would have felt like such a waste. So where do we go if we are going to um, kind of find language that might embrace that? And I want to do uh, a couple different pieces here. Karen used language that she got from the Dalai Lama, which I thought was really super beautiful as one possibility of how you might frame your own soul's journey. And that was the term same, same. Remember that from the previous episode? <laughs> uh, same, same. That I'm not trying to add uh, value or interpretation on the thing I'm experiencing, I'm trying to be in solidarity with it. I'm trying to be in an experience of same-same. So that when I hear uh, frog, whatever frogs do, croaking, right? I don't have to say, oh, how beautiful the frogs are today. Isn't it lovely to be out in nature and experience the frogs? I'm trying to actually go, frog, I'm trying to experience at some level, the same experience as frog. I'm trying to have a frog moment, right? Let frog be fully frog in that moment and me be fully me in that moment and, we're, and I'm in same, same mode. 
And so the, that little phrase is an example of terminology that I think keeps you from getting too rigid in your dogmatic formulation, right? Because it's just how do I live into same-same and then allow for the I-thou experience that comes out of the same-same to birth my sense of my spiritual uh, essence or nature. So that was one that she used that I thought was so beautiful. Um, I was reading through uh, Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, which means the, like, the way of life. And he too, even though Lao Tzu uses a lot of poetry in, uh, in Taoism, you get a sense that he's really struggling to say, how do I even find words to describe what I'm talking about? And here's an example of it from one of his pieces of poetry. He says, something there is whose veiled creation was before the earth or the sky began to be, so silent, so aloof, so alone, it changes not nor fails, but touches all. Conceive it as mother of world. I, I do not know its name. A, a name for it is way. Pressed for designation, I call it great. Great means outgoing, outgoing, far-reaching, far-reaching return. The way is great. The sky is great. The earth is great. Humankind conforms to the earth, but earth conforms to sky. Sky conforms to this way. The way simply conforms to its own nature. Isn't that great to hear him try to play around with... He wants to pick words, but you can hear him almost like releasing those words even as he picks them. And I think that that's another beautiful example of a way in which you can think about um, shifting beyond your normal language sets to finding something like different kind of language to do that with. One of my favorite authors is this one who talked about this kind of evolving sense of shifting from an idea of being connected to the gods, which can be just as much of an abstract construction, then to God, you know, the almighty God, like the God I grew up with, uh, that big, powerful, non-being you know, being that sits out there, then to linking to Gaia, you know, the character of Earth. And can I take, if I grew up in those systems, can I take all that energy that I had focused in on that and channel it into my relationship to this vibrant Gaia that I'm a part of? Dan pauses to wonder what spirituality might look like if birthed within the natural world and accessed through some kind of deeper knowing as we give ourselves to this primary relationship. What is the spirituality of the Delta? When the Delta lives in the rise and fall of all of the, uh, the flow of water that's driven by the moon and the dance of the earth with the moon, and, and you, you can imagine delta swelling as the tides come in and letting go in this rhythmic pattern. What is the spirituality of delta? Could I 
drive by the delta and feel same, same. And then in that moment, stop with all the little words. Stop trying to make the delta the Buddha. Just let the delta be the delta, you know, or the frog. This is what Karen, I think, was trying to hint at, right? Let frog croaking down at the pond be frog croaking down at the pond. And I, I think there's something super liberating about not feeling like we have to put a bunch of words onto this construction and just feel it more. At, uh, as Matthew Fox says, down in those lower chakras. Karen reflects on the way she imagines her individual soul in relationship to all of life and the many ways it sustains and defines her. Yeah, I mean, yes, I feel like I have an individual soul that right. that is connected to it's it's just the 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 meanness of me. <laughs> um yeah. But it can't exist on its own. And it's connected to this host entity. Um, in the same way, you know, a nerve is in the body. Um, can't uh, without the body, the nerve isn't anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I it's, think, I mean, but it's you... unique to each each of us. You know? mm -hmm. And I think that there's that soul is. It's energy. Soul energy. Can you imagine your own soul as tapping into the energy of the cosmos and allowing it to manifest within? We love the perspective Karen brings to this conversation and realize that for most of us, it is a balancing act to live within the demands of a robust civilization in finding moments of feral that nurture the deeper connections to the very biosphere that sustains us. Dan revisits the challenges we all face as we live this balancing act. And I think it's the, it's the throwback to what Karen's warning was, is that we have, as humans, over time, wired ourselves to the things we like to construct around us, right? So we wire ourselves to the mechanisms that make our life go smoothly. For the wiring is required, but we don't have to only be that, that, right? I have to wire myself to the information world in order to communicate. But sometimes we just get lost and think it's all about, you know, reinforcing the wiring to the stuff we've created. How, how do we remember that our deepest wiring, you know, is to the very essence of the planet itself, right? The ecosystem, the biosphere. How are we rewilding, rewiring ourselves on a daily basis, feeling the way in which that umbilical cord is tethered to the biology in which we find our spirituality or the, the relationships that birth in every moment this sense of being like present? or whole, or belonging, or just being a part. 
I'm living in the circle. I think that's, that to me feels like a worthy, dynamic, fluid, spiritual process. Clearly, Karen has been a part of this process, and it has led her on a long and challenging journey that few of us have been able or willing to take. For most of her life, her passion for the natural world manifested as environmental activism. This work exposed her to the realities of a climate straining under the weight of global civilizations. Such a shift is not an easy one. As she shared with us, the stages of grief confronted in order to absorb this reality. But over time, she has not only come to accept the collapse of her sustaining ecosystem and even our social fabric, but she has also discovered that there is a certain grace or beauty or maybe even benefit to living in a way that embraces this reality. Today, she finds herself in a much different place and shares her thoughts with us in her closing remarks. If you really understand the state of the world as it is for us, not as the way we wish it was or how we would hope it to be, but if we, if you really understand that we're in both biospheric collapse and civilizational collapse, um, then you can recognize that you've been involved in a grief process that starts with um, denial and moves into bargaining and then moves into anger and the anger piece is where that environmental activism you know was springing forth for me i was mm. like the, there is something really fundamentally wrong with the way that our species is enacting with this planet this is just not right and the world is just not right and I've felt that my entire life, honestly. And so like, that was my rebellious, like, I have to do something. I can't just let this happen. I, you know, need to get out there. And, um, you know, and so th that was that, you know, trying to, trying to do something, being, yeah. being mad, being in the streets, raising my fists and, you know, yeah. all that that's the anger part of the grief process related to all of this. And, you know, and then it moves into the depression and you go, oh my God, like I can't, uh, I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to stop it. I'm not going to change it. I'm like, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And people aren't waking up and they're, it's very depressing. And, um, eventually working through those grief stages, you know, you find yourself in acceptance of all of it. And, and then what I've discovered is there's so many benefits right. to, to getting through that process and, and understanding what is inevitable that we cannot change and then learning how to live with that. And it's been a complete change in how I'm able to interact with the world now and view the world. And but it's a, a process to get through. Yeah. Sure. And I think it's that's super helpful just to remind folks that that's that's the character of that journey is that 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 arc of experiences 
you can't be a step skipper probably you're going to go through these that you're going to have a couple of years where you're like in the tank on depression uh which is i think where i'm at at this point i haven't gotten to the <laughs> i haven't gotten to the golden circle yet um but just to acknowledge it and go you know it's okay to be in that phase for a time and to yeah you have to be me in that phase right i can't i can't yeah you have to be I think you have that. to be you can't you can't fake the funk i mean yeah it is, a, it is you know i it is a grief soaked proposition to understand yeah. what our species has done to the rest of the planet through yeah. industrial civilization it is grief soaked it, it if you if you can't you know, jo Joanna Macy says the measure of your grief is the measure of your love. Um, and and so many people are terrified to go there. Yeah. They they won't pull their heads out of the sand. Willfully yeah. won't do it because they don't want to deal with the grief. Um, yeah. But. If you're really tapped into this knowing that I've been talking about and you understand how your soul is connected to this all of all, then the most loving thing that one can do is respect this life that has been given and get to the acceptance of collapse. Because then we could have conversations about what collapsing well could look like, of what cleaning up the mess we've made could look like if more people are willing to get out of denial, to get out of bargaining, to get out yeah. of anger, to get out of depression and get into acceptance. These are real inevitables that we are being faced with. What might you take away from this discussion? For Karen, a kind of knowing will guide you into a landscape appropriate for our time and grounded in the reality of our deepest and most ancient bond to the biosphere in which we live. Whether it is in an embrace of the climate in collapse or just the early stages of how you tend to the natural world in which we live, the soul emerges within this most ancient relationship. It is the birthing place for any sense of soul. Where might her insights take you? In our next episode, I sit down with Karen and learn a little bit more about the path that brought her to living in a space of accepting climate collapse. Join us for this fascinating discussion. This episode of Soul Forum has been brought to you by Storycatcher for iPhone, a fun and simple tool that helps you create shareable keepsake video stories. Be the documentarian in your circles. Find Storycatcher, spelt as all one word, on the Apple App Store. You may attend Soul Forum Live each Sunday morning at Creekside Commons in Lafayette, California. The 30-minute presentation is also live-streamed via YouTube and Facebook where people interact via the chat. After the live stream is complete, 
For those gathering in person, we then enter into a non-recorded group discussion on the day's topic. We'd love for you to join us for Soul Forum.